0: Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Scripture highlights both what Jesus said and what He did. Amen. Amen. We serve a speaking God, but we also serve a performing God, a working God. So, with that uh, said, we're starting a new series today. Said, Jesus said what? Looking at hard sayings of Jesus. In fact, I want to teach a message today titled Carrying Capacity. Carrying Capacity. And before I do, I will pray. Father, I thank you for your gospel. I thank you that you reached us in a language that we could understand. That, Lord, you sent your word to become flesh, to become visible, to become revealed, to become manifested. And I thank you as a gatekeeper in this community, as one among many, that, Lord, we acknowledge and we invite you to be Lord. To work in our midst, to perform wonders and signs that would reveal your glory and your goodness. And Lord, we stand, having done all, we stand against the works, the lies of the devil. We thank you that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. I yield myself to you, Holy Spirit. Glorify the risen King. Jesus, the anointed one, and for this we'll give you praise. Amen. I recently completed my hunter education course that's required by law here in the state of Georgia in order to buy a hunting license. And uh, as I was going through this course, it's not a, a short or necessarily a simple course, it's a very thorough course and has several units and several chapters and different themes. And uh, as I was going through it, as I came towards the end of it, there was a unit that began to explain the importance of conservation. And it began to explain the importance of the DNR. Now, if you're not familiar with the DNR, that's the Department of Natural Resources. And uh, this unit began to make the case of why DNR and conservation in our country is so important. And it was during this part of the course that it explained what is termed carrying capacity. Carrying capacity. I got to tell you, as I began to learn and read regarding carrying capacity, that my heart began to fire. Let me explain why. Carrying capacity is the number of animals a given habitat that a given habitat can support all year long without damaging the animals or the habitat. Say it again. The carrying capacity is the number of animals a given habitat Land can support all year long without damaging the animals or the habitat. What is also interesting regarding carrying capacity is from year to year, the carrying capacity can change depending on different variables. As I begin to read and I begin to study and I begin to listen to this, I begin to think about the carrying capacity of believers. I began to think about what is the current caring capacity of believers regarding extending the kingdom of God in a given sphere of influence. I began to think about the caring capacity of local churches, a local church of believers regarding extending the kingdom of God in a given locale. I got to tell you, I began to wonder what the current caring capacity for kingdom authority was for me. I begin to think about what is the current caring capacity for us, for you, for us as a church dwelling place. I begin to wonder what is the current caring capacity of kingdom authority that you and I and that we here today can support all year long without damaging ourselves and damaging the church and those around us. I begin to wonder and begin to think and begin to ask myself, have I increased this year in my carrying capacity? I begin to think this year, have I decreased in my current carrying capacity regarding the authority and the power of the kingdom of God in my life? I begin to wonder about us as a church. Have we increased our current carrying capacity this year or have we decreased? See, I have found that as we begin to look at hard sayings of Jesus and we begin to look at difficult sayings that in order for us to move to application and experience the reality of the hard sayings and true teaches, we must first begin to get knowledge regarding certain themes and certain truths. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, I want to highlight a verse. It says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. It's not how God anointed God. It's how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. A man who had flesh and body similar to ours. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. This is a sermon of Peter. It's the first sermon ever preached to Gentiles under the New Covenant. Peter is in a home of Cornelius who is a God-fearing Gentile and his home is packed with friends and family members and Gentiles that are interested in what God is doing upon the earth. Notice in this first sermon ever preached to Gentiles, Peter highlights the caring capacity of this man named Jesus from Nazareth. How he had the carrying capacity that God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. He had the carrying capacity to go about doing good, extending the kingdom, healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. This fact and this truth and this reality that Peter highlights here, it ties in to what many, if not most, consider a hard saying of Jesus. You find it in Matthew chapter 9 beginning in verse 1. In fact, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. We're going to camp out in Matthew's chapter 7 and 8 and 9 and 10, but we're going to primarily look at Matthew 9 as our text and we'll look at the context and the events surrounding what we read here in Matthew chapter 9 beginning in verse 1. The gospel writer Matthew says, So he, Jesus, got in a boat. He crossed over came to his own city, this city being most likely Capernaum. Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. They brought, "Our Son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes, but Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, you, or to say, Arise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then He said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. He arose and departed to his house. Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. In the Greek, it actually means such power to a man. A couple things to help us get traction on what we need to understand at this hard saying of Jesus that we're looking at today is, number one, sin affects the image of God in us. you got to understand that when you look Across history, and you look across the earth, and you look at friends and neighbors and co workers, you got to understand that sin affects the image of God in us. And it is because sin has affected the image of God in us, and because we have all sinned and fall short of the standard and the high calling of why God created us in the first place. Secondly, you got to understand the devil uses the fact of our sin to downplay our potential caring capacity. The devil uses the fact that we have sinned to downplay our potential caring capacity. He uses shame and he uses guilt. He uses unbelief. He uses the fact of our sin to downplay the potential caring capacity we have. For the kingdom of God, for the authority of God, for the power of God, for the will of God in our life. See, listen to me. It doesn't matter the depth of sin that you have fallen into and and operated and walked in. You still have the capacity today to become a temple of the living God. It doesn't matter how much that the image of God has been covered by shame and guilt and sin in your life. You still have the Potential to carry God's Spirit within you. You still have the potential to become a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. That regardless of how much sin has marked your life, affected your life, no matter how much consequences of sin has filled your marriage and filled your life and filled your relationships and filled your inner thoughts, you still have capacity to carry the power and the authority of God in Christ. That is the reality today. That no matter how far sin has driven you from the north, the south, the east and the west, from the authority and from the presence and from a relationship with your Creator, you still have potential to carry the purpose of God upon the earth. That it is not over for you. That today can mark a new beginning for you. That today is still the day of salvation. That God's power can still not only change you, but fill your life and flow through you to be a change agent upon the earth. That just like a man, Jesus was anointed by God with the Holy Spirit in power and who went about doing good, God can take the sin in our life and deal with us and make us potential carriers of His power and His goodness on the earth. You still have potential, young man, young woman, old man, old lady, middle age, middle woman, wherever you fall, in between. You still have the potential for caring capacity. That's the good news of the gospel. Thirdly, we need to understand that the devil uses religion to control the masses from becoming aware of our potential caring capacity. Listen, if you're new to Dwelling Place Church and you're new to what God's doing here, you got to understand that it might take you time to truly realize what God's called this place to be. We're not called to just be like maybe churches you grew up in, We're not called to play religion and religious games. We're not called to have to play hypocrisy and to act like everything's good on the outside and be miserable and dead and withered on the inside. We don't have to be ashamed of the power of God here. We don't have to be ashamed of what we sing about, that all things are possible with God to him that believes. We don't have to be ashamed that we serve a supernatural God. We're following a supernatural king. We're a part of a supernatural, gospel and a part of the supernatural movement that was birthed on the day of Pentecost when God poured out His Spirit upon those in the upper room and they began to supernaturally testify that Jesus is King, that Jesus is the true Caesar, that Jesus is the true Lord, that there is nothing that falls outside of the scope of His rulership and power to influence and release the goodness of God within. But see the devil uses religion to control the masses to blind them to blind us from becoming aware of our potential carrying capacity see the devil seeks to divide us because it's a divine divide and conquer as humans if we would come to understand that through jesus we can return to our caring capacity for the kingdom of God. If we would become united in that, we would absolutely stand and destroy the works of the devil in so many localities, in so many homes, in so many families, in so many schools. So he uses religion to blind us, the potential of our caring capacity. He also puts false and deceived ministers in authority. And he uses them to shut up the kingdom of God from people to shut up the authority and the power of God from people. Jesus said in Matthew 23 and 13, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Now listen, you see in the text that as Jesus began to teach and He began to deal with this issue of the paralytic man, that the text says at once the religious responded within their hearts. See, listen, those with the religious spirit will at once seek to oppose the power of God. Let me tell you why. Because those that have a religious spirit and feel like they know more than the rest, and because they believe that they're the elite, their thinking goes like this. If we don't have the power of God operating in our life, then it's not possible for someone else who doesn't know what we know to have it. So they resist it. See, that's why Jesus said they don't enter into the potential of of, a caring capacity. And because of that, they sure don't believe that anyone else could have such caring capacity. But I want to tell some people today, be careful letting religious mentalities define you. Be careful letting religious mindsets define your caring capacity. Notice in the text it said, some of the scribes said within themselves... This man blasphemes. It was easy for the religious to jump to wrong conclusions. It still is today. Because religion, as the way Jesus is using it here, and I'm talking about it, is that which is based upon human intellect and human understanding. But the gospel is not a gospel that's created by humans. It's created by a supernatural God. It's created by intellect that far surpasses us. Therefore, we're dependent on the Spirit of God to understand the possibilities of the gospel and Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice what Jesus' response to what takes place within them. He says, why do you think evil in your hearts? See, listen, sin and religion used by the devil to affect the understanding of the masses of their potential carrying capacity on the earth, of God's power and authority to do good, to deal with the works of the devil. See, listen, Jesus considers resisting the fact that a man can have authority from God to forgive sins or the authority of God to cause a paralytic to arise and walk. He considers that evil. That's a hard saying, ain't it? We would consider that common to think of mankind's potential and caring capacity that surely they can't release people from the sense of guilt and release people from bondages and afflictions that keep them from walking. But Jesus considers that type of thinking evil. Today, what does that look like for you and I? Today, it looks like resisting ultimately the power of what the gospel can accomplish. For us today... ultimately it looks like resisting the carrying capacity that the gospel can restore to man. That we begin to align ourselves with what the devil uses to hold down ourselves. We begin to align ourselves with the devil's conclusion because we're marred, because we've sinned, then we sure can't have that much potential and have that much possible carrying capacity for God's use upon the earth. But Jesus considers that reasoning evil and offensive. It's offensive to what God has done through Jesus. It's offensive to the cross of Christ. It's offensive to the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. It's offensive to true Christianity and biblical Christianity that is not ashamed of the power of God. It don't get easier. Because number four is a real hard one for us to swallow. In the text, you come to the conclusion that Jesus is saying that sin is in some manner related to this man being unable to arise and walk. Now listen, it's not necessarily his sins. But notice what Jesus says in verse 5. For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say arise and walk? What is Jesus saying? Meaning they're related. To deal with one is to deal with both of them. What Jesus is saying is sin is in some way affecting this man from being able to experience the kingdom of God experientially. Now, you've got to understand what we mean by the kingdom of God. It's where the perfect will of God is experienced and enforced. In heaven, right now, the third heavens is what the Bible calls it, where God's throne is and Jesus is sitting at the right hand. Listen, everybody walks there. Everybody walks. Everybody walks there. So Jesus here is saying that somehow sin is linked to this man here on earth not being able to walk. Now how it is linked, Jesus doesn't say in this story specifically. Meaning that's not the most important matter for us. The fact is there is a link and that's what's important. And the fact is is that Jesus the anointed one sent from God the Father can deal with the link. Because Jesus has been been given authority by God to forgive sins, then the related link keeping this man from walking is removed so that he can now walk. See, because Jesus removes the link of sin, even if the link is all the way back to the first sin of the first man, in the garden in Genesis 3. That even if that is the link, because Jesus can deal with the sin and the link of it with the man's paralysis, then the paralysis can be removed. Now let me tell you that Scripture does address this difficult tension. Scripture is not silent about the difficult tension, the hard sayings, for us to swallow regarding the link of sin and some of the difficult things that you and I and people on the earth experience. Scripture's not silent about it. Scripture's not silent about the link of sin and how it hinders people from experiencing the kingdom, God's perfect will for their life. For instance, in one case, Jesus heals someone and He says, Go and sin no more, least worse come upon you. That's addressing a link. What about another time? They ask about this man who was not experiencing the kingdom of God. They said, look at this man, he's blind. He said, was it him or his parents who sinned? Jesus says it's neither him or his parents who sinned, but in this sin-affected world, this is an opportunity for the glory of God to be revealed. There was another time that a great tragedy had happened. A tower had failed, killed many people. And Jesus said, hey, do you think those that were killed in the tragedy, do you think that they were worse sinners than the rest of the people? And he said, no. He says, it's a sin-affected world with catastrophes and unfortunate events now. That in this sin-affected world, there's catastrophes and unfortunate events now. Another time, Jesus says, it's because of the sin of unbelief that I could do no mighty miracles in His hometown of Nazareth. So Scripture deals with this link. It talks about this tension, these hard sayings that get people flustered and fights against our intellect and our human reasoning of wanting to live and what we understand by the senses instead of submitting to the supernatural gospel and the understanding by the Spirit of what's revealed in God's Word. What does this mean for you and I today, number five? Knowing experientially the sufficiency of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to put away sin is the foundation to being empowered in our ability to rise out of dysfunction, to rise out of sin and its bondage, to rise out of cultural bondages, to rise out of our dysfunctions and be empowered in our walk with God. That's the application that Jesus says there's a link between how much of the kingdom we can experience now on earth and how we view and how we've allowed sin to be dealt with. Meaning this, number six, assurance of being in right standing with God, being righteous is the foundation to be empowered for the kingdom of God. See, the devil uses your sin and your humanity to downplay your potential caring capacity. Pride causes us to downplay our sin and think that we can keep the sin and not deal with it and still walk in our potential caring capacity. But Jesus Christ was sent to deal with sin so that we would get an assurance that we're in right standing with God in an area and out of that assurance we would have confidence we can be empowered by the Spirit of God to experience the will of God in that area. See, number seven, the gift of righteousness which God offers you in Jesus Christ, listen, it changes our caring capacity. The gift of righteousness that God offers you through Jesus Christ changes your caring capacity. The whole trajectory of your life can change. You could be in some sins like that paralytic man and have been laying in that bondage and dysfunction and cultural dysfunctions your entire life. But because God sent Jesus to become our righteousness, we can have assurance that now we can be empowered to succeed in God's will in that area of our life. I don't understand, other than religion and the devil, it just proves that the devil's real to me, how so many people that value the truth of Scripture and value a community of followers and yet believe that God wants them to fail. People will ask me, well, what kind of gospel do you believe in? Well, I'll tell you what kind of gospel I don't believe in. I don't believe in a gospel of failure. I don't believe that God sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross, to die and be resurrected, so that the area that He's called you to, that you fail in it. I don't believe that if God's called you to be a parent, how do you know that? Well, if you're a parent, you got, you're got called. <laughs> Whether you answered it or not, you're called. But I don't believe if God's called us to be a parent, then He's desiring us to fail in parenting. Come on. I don't believe if God's called us to start a business, to run a business, then He wants us to fail in it. I don't believe if God has us married, that He then wants us to fail in that marriage. So here's the main point up to this point. Because of Jesus, there are consequences of sin that can be removed. I want to tell you not just does the blood of Jesus cleanse us of sin, But the power of God in Jesus can remove consequences of sin. Hallelujah. That you don't have to carry the smell and the ashes of your past sins into your future of glory with Jesus Christ. That Jesus doesn't just forgive and cleanse us, and yet we have to walk with all the consequences of our sin in the future. He also has the power to change consequences. Hallelujah. Notice in the text it said, Multitude saw it as this man now is experiencing a new carrying capacity. That Jesus Christ, the righteous one of God, has made possible for him in dealing with sin. And in dealing with sin... The link of his paralysis and his inability has been dealt with. The multitudes saw it, they marveled, and they glorified God who had given such power to a man. Notice the multitudes are marveling about the carrying capacity of a man, the carrying capacity of such power. And this is how God wants his people to be able to supernaturally testify to the reality that Jesus Christ is Lord, that this isn't a fable, this isn't a Disney movie, this isn't just a good story, that this absolutely is the wisdom and the power of God to change circumstances, situation, hearts and minds of people. See, listen, the gospel elevates... Us. Go study history. Go study how the gospel elevated nations. How it elevated intellect that God had given humanity from the beginning But because of sin and division. It was buried underneath sin and intellects began to come alive again for the glory of God and things were invented that made our living here on earth easier. Listen, the gospel elevates. Why? It elevates so then we can be used to alleviate. Listen, you can't alleviate other people's suffering and other people's hurts if you don't allow the gospel to elevate you but you won't allow the gospel to elevate you if you keep allowing sin and Satan and his voice and religion to cover up and to try to keep you from accepting your potential caring capacity of the kingdom of God. Listen, this is not a church where the goal is for you to always look up to me. This is a church whose goal is set by Jesus that you get to the place that we see eye to eye. A teacher is not to keep the students below the teacher. The teacher is to get the people to understand what's being taught and to walk in and live it for themselves. That's what kind of church you're in. That you allow the gospel and the caring capacity of your life to elevate you so that then you can be an instrument to alleviate others' difficulties, struggles, and bondages. But they're marveling about the caring capacity of a man. See, we find in Genesis, clearly, it instructs us that mankind was created to bear the image of God on the earth. We were created to rule and have dominion over all things. Now, listen, says we were created to rule over all things, it doesn't say we were created to control all things. Oftentimes when it comes to the difference between biblical Christianity and religion, and we'll talk about when it comes to you having peace in your heart and having frustration or anger, it goes back to not having the wisdom to differentiate the difference between Ruling over and controlling over. Listen, God rules over the nations, but He doesn't sit controlling over the nations. And if you don't understand that, your theology about God and how this earth operates will get way off. Because if you think He's contro- ruling means controlling everything, then you have to attribute everything that happens as God's intentional doing. But that isn't God. And that's not what revealed in Scripture. He rules over all things. We were created in His image to be able to rule over all things on the earth but not control all things on the earth. For for example, Adam and Eve could not control the serpent's voice. But they could rule over it. Listen to me. We live in an earth now, and the way God set up from the beginning, there are many things you can't control. We can't control that towers fall. We can't control that storms and winds blow. We can't control that floods and rains come. There are many things we can't control, but we were originally created to roll over them. Let me go ahead and help you, because I know some of you your, your mind's like a pinball machine. I recently got back from the pinball museum. And, uh, man, I love my wife. We had a wonderful time. But if I would have had one day without her, I would have been there the entire day. It's unbelievable. You pay one flat fee and you can stay there the entire day. You can leave and come back. I mean, it was amazing. Make those machines sing and vibrate. Man, that's what I'm trying to do in the Lord for some of you. Get you singing and vibrating under the power of God. But to do that, we got to stop those wrong pinballs, thoughts, and strongholds in your mind. So let me help you do it. You remember what Paul said? He said, yeah, suffering's come. Yeah, there's so much I can't control over, but through it all we're more than conquerors because we can rule over it. Now listen, this is key when we're talking about these hard things of Jesus. See, they couldn't control the serpent's voice, but they could rule over it. See, from our fellowship with our Creator, we were to live with a sense of empowerment, a sense of boldness, a sense of confidence for life. But today, my experience so often, and your experience and our experience, is frustration. Why? Because I'm frustrated when I get confused on the difference between ruling and controlling. I want to control what my kids do instead of understanding and my inability to control what they do. I still have the ability to rule in the midst of what they do, what I do with my emotions, what I do with my words, what I do with my actions. That Jesus elevates us to have the caring capacity that when we're cursed, we can bless in return. This is what we're talking about. We can't can't control people not cursing us, but we can roll over it by what? Overcoming evil by doing good. Oh, hallelujah. See, if we as humans in the beginning were made in the image of God, then that means in some aspect we were a mirror of God. For example, you understand this? So you look at my three precious gifts from the Lord. You look at Michelle and I's children and you say, Oh, I I see Michelle in that one. Oh, I see Chad in that one. What does that mean? You're seeing our image mirrored in them. Well, the Bible says in the beginning, we were created in the image of God, meaning when you looked at humanity, you saw in some aspect in a mirror God. I want to highlight a couple of things here about what it means being made in the image of God. The first is the authority of our words. Secondly, the authority of our works. The fact that we as humans are made in the image of God speaks to the authority of our words and the authority of our works. Watch this, to bind or release evil on the earth or to hinder and release the will of God upon the earth. That's why when Jesus came to try to get us back to understanding our potential and carrying capacity, He taught when we pray together how to get agreement, how not to stay divided. Corporate prayer, He said, you pray our Father. So God's no respecter of persons. If you come to the Father through Christ, you're just as much a son and daughter, child of God as the next brother and sister. Our Father, who art in heaven. But then He says, what? Pray that kingdom come where? On earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. See, when we're made in the image of God, part of that image is we're gatekeepers on the earth. We are gatekeepers regarding the kingdom of Jesus and the kingdom of Satan. Here's where more tension comes in in his hard sayings of Jesus. All humans originally are created in the image of God to be a gatekeeper on the earth. This goes back to understanding the difference between ruling over and controlling over. I don't have authority over other gatekeepers. I don't have authority over other humans. So I can be living a life that actually models and demonstrates the prayer that I pray, God, may your kingdom come on earth and in earth as it is in heaven, and yet there can be other gatekeepers that's actually resisting the kingdom of Jesus and opening up and inviting the kingdom of Satan to keep working through their life. They act like him. They look like him. He was a thief from the beginning. He was a liar from the beginning. Satan was. Now listen, this is a reason why Scripture refers to mankind as little gods. Little g. Little gods. Now this, if any, ties into a heart saying of Jesus. Let's look at it. John 10 and 31. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Now the Jews were the one that had the oracles of God committed to them. They had the revelation of Scripture, Genesis to Malachi. And again, they take up stones to stone Jesus. Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you for my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? The... Jews answered him saying, for a good work we don't stone you, but for blasphemy. Let me tell you what a religious spirit likes to do in people's life. It likes to get people more zealous over teachings than what people actually do. They weren't upset about the good works. They were upset with what Jesus said. Is that not most religious spirits? They get more upset if you don't believe exactly what they believe scripturally. And they overlook the fact that your life displays the love and mercy of Jesus practically. I and mean, I think I'd like to be a little merciful and accepting of people that maybe don't understand all Scripture says and means, but their life lives out the mercy and grace of Jesus to those around them. See, religious spirits don't operate that way. They say, we don't care that you're healing people, Jesus, that you're alleviating suffering in Jesus, that you're alleviating hunger and injustice on the earth. We just don't like what you said. It doesn't fit in with what we say. Now watch this. For which of these works do you stone me? Verse 33, the Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we don't stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself God. Theos. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said you are gods. Okay. If He, God, called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of Him who the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? Can we just take a vote? Hard saying. (laughs) Well, good. We're right where we're supposed to be in August. First, notice again the religious accusation. What's the accusation? Jesus is blaspheming. It's related to what we saw before. A religious spirit, listen, will accuse of blasphemy in the area of the true identity of sons and daughters of God. A religious spirit will accuse of blasphemy in the area of the true identity of sons and daughters of God. Watch this. And the authority that stems from their identity in Christ. That's where the accusation is coming. Why? Because a religious spirit is a spirit that wants to control the carrying capacity of the kingdom of God in people. See, religious spirits like to view ruling as controlling. But the Spirit of Christ wants us to understand that ruling is not controlling, it's a different type of ruling. It's a hard saying of Jesus. Jesus here, He's quoting, if you don't know, from Psalms 82. It's a psalm of Asaph. Now Asaph is said by Scripture to be a seer. It's a type of prophet. Seers can see what others with their natural eyes can't see. Thousands and thousands of years ago, even with destruction, wickedness, the image of God covered by shame and murder and greed in humanity, the seer Asaph could look at humans and prophetically see that the original image of God in us is that we were to be judges on the earth. We were given authority by the one true God to have authority on the earth to judge and determine with voice. And the works that stem from those voices would happen on the earth. Would we listen to the serpent and the lies and Him who is murderous and comes every evil thing? Or would we listen to the voice whose sound is louder than a thousand rushing waters to the, to the one true God who spoke light into existence and light out of darkness? Would we listen to the voice of our Creator? It's a psalm regarding justice. It's how God judges among the little G's, the little gods upon the earth. See, God judges between how we as humans, as judges on earth, use the authority He has given us on the earth, whether for good or evil. God looks the sons of man and mankind, and He's judging between us that Scripture calls little Elohims, a little judge. See, part of being in the image of God... God is judge. Part of being in His image is we also have the ability to judge what takes place on earth. To permit, to allow. To not allow, to stand against. That's why Paul in Ephesians 6 saying, having done all, what do you do? You stand against the works of darkness. Why did James 4 say, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee? We're little judges on the earth. God judges between us because why? Listen, He's given the earth to us. Psalms 115 and 16. The heavens, the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's. But the earth He has given to the children of men. The majority of people that hate God, it's because they're deceived and they're attributing to the one true God what the little g, the God of this world that the Bible calls Satan, is actually responsible for. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Paul says that the God of this age, the God of this time, is Satan. It's a little g. He set up His kingdom on the earth. And so many times we ask the wrong questions because we don't see the world rightly scripturally, we see it traditionally. And I'm going to tell you, if you just see it traditionally or culturally, it's going to rob us of our caring capacity of what God and His grace through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit can do through you and I. See, God created us humans as gatekeepers on the earth. We have authority from God to determine what is allowed and what is not allowed to take place. Adam originally opened the gate to Satan's kingdom. Disaster after disaster has been the result. As gatekeeper after gatekeeper, keeps keeping the gate open to Satan's work and kingdom. This is why Satan, again, he's called in 2 Corinthians 4.4. The God, little g, the God of this world and age. The destruction of sin as it broke our fellowship with our Creator. It removed our ability to rule and have dominion. It made us slaves to sin impulses. It covered us in shame and guilt, fear, self-wrath, cowardice, passivity, a sense of helplessness. And we began to look for another God to worship. All kinds of gods of culture. But Jesus was sent by the Father to open a ladder from heaven to earth. It's a reference to the type of Jacob's ladder that Jacob saw in the Old Testament. He began, Jesus was sent by the Father to open the gate on the earth for the kingdom of God to be able to fill the earth again, for God's will to come into situations again, for God's power to come and change family lineages again for God's grace to come and remove bondages and things that make you paralysis and cause you to not be passionate and believe in God's love and God's will and God's ability and his promises for you Jesus came and that's why his first words in his message was repent change your mind the kingdom of God is now at hand you can experience it This is the good news. Jesus having no link to sin and being in right standing with God had and has the caring capacity to bring the kingdom of God into situations, to bring God's true will into situations. But listen, though He has that authority, the kingdom is a ruling over kingdom. It's not a controlling over kingdom. And therefore, He can't make humans receive it. Faith is required. Love is required and love is a choice. Hope is required. It requires a choice. But when a person responds correctly to Jesus Christ and becomes a part of his community, the caring capacity changes. Look at this. I want you to think of Paul in Acts 14 and verse 9. In Acts 14 and verse 9, this man heard Paul speaking. Because I want to tell you, when you respond correctly to Jesus Christ and become a part of His community, your caring capacity changes. Paul was a murderer. He was a murderer under the guise of religion. He was a blind leader of the blind. In Acts 14, though, now that he's responded correctly to Jesus Christ, his caring capacity to do good has changed. To alleviate pain and suffering. In Acts 14, this man heard Paul speaking. Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed. Sounds like our original story, doesn't it, Matthew? He said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Laconian language, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas, they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Wow, what carrying capacity Jesus changes in all of us. What carrying capacity the true gospel changes in all of us. Notice the Gentiles interpret someone operating with such authority and power that it must actually be the gods, the little gods have come down like men. They interpret it through their cultural gods. It's the same today. People look at how God begins to elevate your life and elevate you in areas of life and say, oh, that's luck. Oh, that's because of your education. Oh, that's because you come from this family. They still view the power of God and the gospel that elevates through their cultural gods. This is why we can't just go prophesy to people and declare and and demonstrate God's power. Jesus said, then you have to teach them. Why? Listen. Listen because if you don't explain and teach what they just saw and encountered, they'll interpret it through their cultural gods. It frustrates me. I hear people that walk in the power of God, other pastors leaders, they go out and they tell testimonies of how God's power manifests in the streets. They prophesied to someone and then they left. Like they prophesied to someone who already believed in psychics and already believed in that stuff. Well, when they leave, what do you think they're going to interpret what just happened to them? Oh, that was just a psychic. I don't know. We have to put the man Jesus Christ before them. This is the balance. Growing in our carry capacity to re- regarding the power of God but also grow in our capacity to rightly understand, teach, and explain the power of God. Remember the multitude saw it? That's my heart not just that they'd see it but that in seeing it they would see the one we're setting before them the man Jesus Christ of Nazareth who was anointed by God see we're all looking for a, another human to set before us because we are shame gods little gods looking for another god to worship and that's why God in order to fulfill that longing he sent His Son, Jesus, who took on a body like you and I, that we can set what the image of man actually looks like. And through Him and only through Him we can return to the one true God, our Father, the Father of lights. There's no shadow or shifting and turning. The multitudes, they marveled. They glorified God who gave such a power to a man. Watch this in Matthew 10 and verse 1. Jesus, when He called His 12 disciples to Him, He gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases. Then in verse 7, He says, As you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. This is amazing. You know why it's amazing? Jesus tells them to do With his authority, what they have been observing him in this season do with the same authority. Listen to me. Jesus doesn't ask them to do something that they've not already observed experientially him and his authority do. Can I tell you that your carrying capacity is completely also dictated by how much you're following Jesus and letting Him reveal more of His caring capacity to you. How do we know this? Because listen, in Matthew 8, 1, 4, a leopard is cleansed. In Matthew 8, 5-13, Jesus heals the sick. In Matthew 9, 23-26, Jesus raised the dead. In Matthew 8, 28-34, Jesus cast out demons then after they experienced that he says now I give you that authority go do the same thing with that same authority you know what I found I've been around church my entire life I've not been around the power of God the gifts of the spirit my entire life but you know what I found in my experience the new in the faith have the boldness to pray for the sick to be healed but they don't have the caring capacity and character developed to have such an anointing giving given to them from the Lord, and therefore nothing happens. Notice who Jesus gave authority to here. This isn't anybody off the street that just got born again. This is his 12 that he's taken through a process who have experientially observed him, Jesus, use that same authority to glorify God. But you know what else I found in my experience? Then the older in the faith often have the caring capacity and character developed, but they've lost the boldness to pray Due to previous situations or experiences when they were immature and nothing happened. But you remember where we started? My lesson from Hunter Safety Education that from year to year, carrying capacity can change depending on different variables. That your carrying capacity of the authority and the power of God can change this year. That we as a church dwelling place, our current carrying capacity can change this year. What do you do to change your current carrying capacity? A couple things. In the text, Jesus saw their faith. He saw the faith of friends, the friends who surrounded the paralytic. I find this very interesting because they're in Capernaum. Capernaum was a city where Jesus rebuked. He said, woe to you. He said, woe to you if the works that were done in Capernaum were done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented a long time ago. Meaning they were a city that had great unbelief. I want to tell you that we live in a nation now and you come from a culture where there's great unbelief. And in this place of great unbelief in the culture surrounding us, you got to get a new circle. You got to get some four friends that still believe in the caring capacity of Jesus and how Jesus will elevate you out of that which paralyzes you. That That which holds you down, that which binds you—you got to get a circle that believes in the carrying capacity that Jesus restores to humanity, broad and right relationship with the Creator. You got to get in a Connect group. Get you a new group. We have Connect groups that meet all over tonight. here were four friends that had faith that Jesus was God's solution to removing the link between this man's inability and sin here's six ways I want to encourage every one of you that God's put within your ability to respond to his methodology of how your current caring capacity can increase and not decrease, number one experiencing Jesus's caring capacity can change And accelerate our carrying capacity. Think of the 12. They experienced in Matthew 8 through 10 all of those miracles. Then what? It changed their carrying capacity. So then Jesus gave them the authority to go do the same thing. I never believed that God could use a vessel like me to release his healing power until someone laid hands on me and healed a damaged ear. Secondly, fasting can change and accelerate our carrying capacity. Right here in the context, Matthew 9, 14 and 17, Jesus links fasting for new creations, children of God. He links fasting as making room for the new wine, for new authority, new power to work in your life, the power of God. Thirdly, you can make room. Making room for the miraculous, making room for the power of God, making room for Jesus who had the fullness of God's Spirit, His caring capacity. Making room can change and accelerate our caring capacity. See, many of us, we have dead cultural rituals. You see it in the story. There was a girl who had died, and they're all wailing and crying around her as the cultural rituals of that day. They're singing, their laments, they're weeping. And what does He do? He goes in, and He says, Make room for me and my caring capacity of the authority and the power of the kingdom of God. You got to make room for it. That's why Paul says you got to covet. You got to desire. You got to earn this for spiritual gifts. Why? So that Jesus would not just be talked about, but he would be supernaturally revealed, supernaturally witnessed to. It makes people amazed that the gospel can elevate all of us, sin shamed, sin defeated. Can elevate us to become sons and daughters of God again in right standing with our Creator, filled with His Holy Spirit, empowered by His love. Oh, hallelujah. You got to make room for the power of God. Fourth, according to your faith, according to your faith, you can change and accelerate your carrying capacity. listen some of you based on the culture you come from the religion religious background you come from you got to set Jesus and his word before you more than others in order for your faith to increase at the heart sayings of Jesus I didn't get to this place of my current caring capacity just, just coming once a week and haphazardly seeking the Lord Spent hours and hours and hours just me and Jesus in this book. Because I had cultural bondages, religious mindsets and mentalities that seek to hold you down. But if you're held down, you can't be elevated in Jesus. And if you're not elevated in Jesus by His grace and power, you won't alleviate dysfunction and hurts and injustices in others. Some of us need to pray more. Say, Pastor Chad, how'd you get a prayer life? Because I needed a prayer life. I needed it more than others because I was that dysfunctional, that messed up. But this is how you accelerate your faith. Because listen, faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. Not the Word of men, not the Word of cultural backgrounds and ideologies. The Word of God. Five compassionate prayer can change and accelerate our caring capacity. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. He told the disciples pray that the Lord would send laborers to the harvest. As they prayed, that compassionate prayer increased their capacity. In the next chapter, he then calls them to himself and gives them the authority, sends them as the laborers. Five or six actually following Jesus. See, I still believe in Mark 16. I still believe that these signs will follow those that actually are believing. Those that are actually following Jesus. This isn't something I grew up in. So you're not looking at a person that believes this because it's always known. No, I believe this because it's actually said Jesus before me, not religion. He led me to see himself actually following Jesus as He leads you through his model for maturing can change and accelerate our current current, current caring capacity. I want you to know that the righteous eats to the satisfying of their soul. If you're satisfied now, I'll tell you how to get unsatisfied. Go get around some injustices. Go get around some people groaning and moaning in bondages. Go get around some hurting people that don't have the advantages that I have or you have. Let some compassionate prayer begin to make room in your heart and life to desire the power of God to elevate you so you can alleviate hurts around you. I want to tell you that we're gatekeepers, dwelling place. That the gospel elevates us to stand against the devil to stand against his lies, to stand against his wrongs, to say not here, that we have the ability within our words to declare the word of God over situations, to begin to rule in the midst of suffering, to hold back darkness and be what cre- were created to be light to the nations. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, Be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.